It's Tuesday, March 23rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. QAnon has gripped the fascination of many people in the country. People have been hanging on every cryptic post that Q would send to message boards. And while many of the conspiracies and predictions of President Trump staying in power, mass arrests of politicians, and Satanists pulling the strings of the deep state have not come true, Q's followers still persist. And what if one of those followers was in your family? For our first story, we'll speak to Albert Samaha, investigative journalist and deputy editor at BuzzFeed News, about his struggles to get his own mother to stop believing in QAnon. Next, good news as we may soon have another vaccine available to us. AstraZeneca and its partner Oxford University have released information about their clinical trials in the U.S. and found their vaccine is safe and prevents 79% of symptomatic cases of COVID-19. It also reduced severe cases and hospitalizations by 100%. There has been recent concern of blood clots associated with the vaccine in Europe, but the trials showed no cases of that in the U.S. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today, joins us for more. It's News Without the Noise. Let's dive in. We sort of had an intersection where the work I was doing began to run up against the articles that she held really closely. She had never really supported any politician as intensely as she supported Trump. And I had never written about any politician as critically as I'd written about Trump. Joining us now is Albert Samaha, investigative journalist and deputy editor at BuzzFeed News. Thanks for joining us, Albert. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Albert, you wrote a very interesting article about your mother and your relationship and kind of uh, how it's been a little strained and, and the difficulties you guys have had of late. And most of it centers around your mom believing in QAnon and and the writings of the you know this person who's known as Q and uh, kind of all the stuff that goes with it, the conspiracy theories that go with it and kind of the difficulties throughout the elections and supporting President Trump. And as I mentioned, just a, a lot of the conspiracy theories associated with QAnon. So Albert, tell us a little bit about what's going on. Uh, you mentioned you've been trying to get her out, trying to convince her otherwise, but to no avail. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom was an early adapter of QAnon. She started kind of telling me about the conspiracy theories there in like mid 2018, which was just a few months after those posts started showing up. But what wasn't new was her belief in conspiracy theories that I found baseless. You know, I think one of the reasons I wasn't initially alarmed by her interest in QAnon was that it was just sort of one more conspiracy theory on top of many others that we had discussed. You know, before that, she was really in on kind of a, a, the Illuminati secret society conspiracy theories some Freemason conspiracy theories. I um, mean, even before that, our initial political disagreements began a decade ago when, when, when we were arguing about the Fox News or far right claims that Obama was Muslim or was trying to get in God we trust stripped off U.S. currency. So by the time QAnon came around, we had already had a bit of experience debating things that I considered misinformation. And I think what was different about this one and, and sort of unexpected to me was how quickly it became mainstream and, and how there were so many other people publicly supporting the same beliefs that she had, which only reaffirmed her own faith in QAnon belief systems. And it was almost like the rest of America moved toward her with QAnon. And you and, and your mom also had this interesting trajectory. You obviously became a journalist and it reached a point where you guys were kind of on opposite sides. And, you know, she accused you about being part of the deep state. And she was very religious. Don't write bad things about the Catholic Church or priests. Don't write anything bad about President Trump. Tell us a little bit about that dynamic. 
she was never really opposed to me becoming a journalist uh, from the start. You know, I think she sort of believed in my in my morality and in my center of gravity on that stuff. And so it really wasn't until until my writing started to push up against her own belief systems. So I, and, and then that became most intense kind of in the Trump era, because a lot of uh, my writing ended up having to be accountability stories about Trump's racist rhetoric, about his cruel immigration policies. And for the first time, we sort of had an intersection where the work I was doing began to run up against the articles that she held really closely. She had never really supported any politician as intensely as she supported Trump. And I had never written about any politician as critically as I'd written about Trump. And so it sort of coalesced in Trump era, kind of these two paths that we had been on for a while that had not really collided in that sense. That began to happen during the Trump era as she sort of began to see him as more than a politician and, and something closer to a savior. And, you know, my writing would, would undermine that. And so with QAnon, that sort of gave a framework to those beliefs because QAnon had embedded within it conspiracy theories about the media, about the media's complicity in a lot of their claims. And so it sort of gave her affirmation of what she had already been thinking in her mind, but now with some concrete examples and, and so-called evidence that, that people online were presenting to her about the media's complicity and about presumably my complicity. Tell me a little bit more about what you think drew your mom over to uh, QAnon and kind of believing all of this stuff. As I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, in your article, you wrote how how she was very religious and she really didn't believe in abortion. Uh, you know, that shouldn't be done. Obviously, the government shouldn't be subsidizing some of that stuff. So in forming some of her political beliefs, that was a part of it. And then, you know, it comes QAnon and uh, part of that conspiracy alleges that there's Satanists operating pulling the back levers of the deep state and, uh, you know, they're eating babies and all this stuff. So uh, th that kind of melds together a little bit. But what do you think drew her into all of this? Like, what, what do you think really, you know, sunk the hooks in, basically? Uh, you know, I think like, like anyone else, uh, I mean, we all sort of rely on the voices we trust to guide us on, like, complicated issues, right? Like, whether it's doctors or lawyers or accountants, none of us become experts in all the things that manage our lives. And, and so we turn to trusted sources to sort of interpret the information we encounter. Uh, and I think it was no different for my mom. She began her political exploration from the kind of moral center of being anti-abortion and being very um, socially conservative and, and very faithful to the doctrines of the Catholic Church. And I think that fundamental, that core belief is what sort of led her to trust into the sort of people that shared that core belief, that the, the anti-abortion beliefs, the social conservative beliefs. So she listened to, you know, for years, she listened to Pat Robertson. She listened to conservative voices on Catholic radio stations, to the priests in her homilies, and ultimately to Fox News. And then from Fox News to the far-right um, misinformation ecosystem that we've seen really proliferate in recent years. So the slide was, was not sudden. It was a slow slide deeper and deeper into far-right extremist propaganda rabbit holes that at every step kind of opened another door. You know, like it was the, the, the commitment the Catholic Church had to prioritizing an anti-abortion position above all else mm -hmm. that, you know, led her to listen to conservative voices and to place her faith in the Republican Party, her faith in that led her to trust in Fox News, you know, who in many ways was a megaphone for the Republican Party. But once the doors kind of misinformation that Fox News spread in the Obama era opened for her, then it sort of opened the door to all sorts of other 
conspiracies and misinformation in less mainstream media outlets than Fox News. And then kind of once that door opens, it's really hard to shut because the more misinformation you begin to believe, the fewer common ground facts are available for me or anyone else to try to pull her back to, you know, to my worldview or, or pull her kind of up that slippery slope. Right. Um, and you wrote a lot about spirited conversations that you guys would have basically battling with your own facts. And, and what would she do when you presented her with information to the contrary? Obviously, you know, you're her son. She trusts you. You're a journalist. That's your job. So what would she do uh, when you confronted her with things that oppose her views? She'd present her own evidence that opposed my views. And that's what became frustrating about it, is that she had at her disposal a sprawling network of misinformation sources with precisely alleged evidence to refute my own claims. And all I could say is, well, you know, trust the New York Times instead of Breitbart, but she doesn't. She trusts Breitbart more than the New York Times. So any evidence I bring, I would bring would just like disintegrate into the wall of evidence that she believed. And so it, it couldn't really get farther than that. Like it wouldn't really get into a debate over the ideas because we couldn't even settle the debate over facts. And that's sort of the point where I realized that we were just sort of at a permanent impasse that once I could, once there was no source of evidence that I could present to her and she had no source of evidence that I would find credible, it occurred to me that there was just no way for either of us to cover any ground on persuading the other. Q is this person who is either high level in the military, has high level clearance, close to Trump. You know, the stories are all over the place, but that person's been posting on these message boards certain cryptic messages. And really, all the followers after that kind of go and try to decipher them as much as they can. They said that he's predicted a bunch of stuff, but some of the major things that were supposed to happen never materialized. President Trump never came back and took power and Nobody was arrested. Uh, You know, March 4th was supposed to happen. That was a big date in the whole QAnon thing. What does your mom say to those instances when things just really don't materialize and it seems to be that it wasn't true to begin with? Well, there's always a reason they don't materialize. And this was initially, I I thought this um, sort of this sort of pattern of false prophecies was a damning characteristic of, of QAnon something I could really exploit to kind of shatter it in my mom's eyes. But what I came to realize was that this inconsistency was actually a strength of the belief system, not a vulnerability. Because the thing about QAnon is that it is constantly evolving, that even when things don't play out the way they were predicted to, well, here's new information explaining why they didn't play out. Here's new clues to figure out the new direction that this dramatic backstage soap opera has taken. And so there, there were always more breadcrumbs to follow, always reasons to explain why something didn't happen. And, and once you're sort of in the realm of believing that Tom Hanks was executed years ago for drinking the, the blood of children and that the one we see today is actually a clone, like you've already gone so far right. past what someone like me or a lot of people would think is like ridiculous that anything can be possible. Like if that is possible, then it's also possible that the reason JFK Jr. didn't come back from the dead is because he changed his mind. And once you sort of place your trust in these voices, it's very easy to keep following them for every explanation every time something doesn't pan out. The last question I have for you, Albert, uh, how is your relationship with your mother right now, currently, especially after writing this article? 
It's good. You know, it's great. She was in favor of me writing this article. You know, she knows a lot of her Patriot friends are in similar situations that we were in. And I think one of the impetuses we had about this story was that a lot of people did not maintain as strong a relationship with each other as my mom and I have. I think one benefit my mom and I have had is that we've been battling over our two conflicting realities for a decade now. You know, I know some people where everything was fine with their relationship with their parent and then suddenly QAnon happened in 2018 and everything changed. Whereas for my mom and I, we've been navigating these waters for a decade now, you know, back to birtherism stuff. And so this wasn't some sudden change in our relationship. This was just sort of the latest chapter. So our, our relationship is good. Our relationship is very strong. Um, we talk very regularly. Her, her main concern about the story was she was worried that it would be embarrassing for her friends to find out about my worldview. She was kind of worried about that for a while. But she's heard from some of her friends that have read the story and they liked it because, you know, they had kids going, you know, who, who were trying to persuade them the same way I, right. I, I was. So we're still good. We're all good. Still trying to persuade each other and kind of just hoping other people can find some sort of peace or guidance or, or, or not feel alone by, by, by seeing our story. Yeah. The name of the article on BuzzFeedNews.com is My Mom Believes in QAnon. I've been trying to get her out. Albert Samaha, investigative journalist, deputy editor at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was comparable efficacy across ethnicity and age, namely a very good efficacy, 79.9% in participants who are 65 years of age or older. Joining us now is Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Sure. Nice to be here. We got some uh, new information out of AstraZeneca about their COVID-19 vaccine that they developed with the University of Oxford it reduced both mild and serious forms of COVID-19. I think it was coming in at preventing 79% of symptomatic cases of the disease. It's a two-dose vaccine, and we could be seeing it approved here in the United States pretty soon. So, Karen, tell us a little bit more about what we're finding out about it. You're exactly right. And 79% of all symptomatic COVID and apparently 100% of all more severe disease. So nobody in the vaccine group got severe disease. It's the same kind of technology as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, different from the mRNA vaccines. And it would add another option to the table. This one's a little cheaper. It's easier to distribute. It is a two-shot vaccine. And there's been a big question about in Europe, None of the trials showed this problem, but it's been distributed to about 20 million people in Europe and triggered about a dozen cases of blood clots and this weird condition called cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, which is basically a blood clot in the vessels draining the brain. And while blood clots in general are very common, this particular kind of blood clot is not and was seen sort of disproportionately among recipients in Europe. And so there's been some question about that. The WHO and the European regulatory agency and the British regulatory agency have all looked at the data and signed off on this vaccine. Yeah. I mean, that was a big concern. That vaccine has already been approved there in Europe, in the UK and Asia for some time now. 20 million people across those countries have all gotten it already. But yeah, there was this concern about the blood clots. It prompted a bunch of countries to stop using it for a while. Is that back on now? Have they resumed giving out the vaccine again? 
Some of them have, but not all. So it's it's going to be a slow process. And then the other issue is going to be rebuilding confidence. A lot of people's confidence in this vaccine have been shaken because of that data. And that's one of the challenges of making a vaccine is when you give anything to 20 million people, somebody's going to have a reaction in a, in a close proximity to that thing. And so just figuring out whether there's a causal relationship, whether the vaccine triggered that blood clot, for instance, uh, or not, is a challenge. Yeah, the um, U.S. trial where this data is from, had 32,000 people in that, and uh, so it ended up being working out pretty well there. This trial was funded by the U.S. government. You know, we've talked about some of the concerns about blood clots, but what about variants? That's a, a big concern, and what's, even with some of the other vaccines we have on board right now, the effectiveness uh, drops here or there with some of them, but what about the AstraZeneca vaccine when it comes to variants? I should say first that there were no problems with blood clots seen in the U.S. trial. In terms of the variants, this AstraZeneca vaccine was tested in South Africa when a variant there was, was going crazy. And unfortunately, it was not very effective against that particular variant. That variant has arrived in the U.S. It is not as prevalent as the so-called British variant, the one that started in the U.K., but it is out there. And so the concern is that we want to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible before more variants appear, before there's a problem with our current vaccines. Do we know if the uh, UK variant was floating around already in the US when they were doing this trial? I mean, it seems like it would have been, but so it seems like it would be effective against that one, at least. It is believed to be effective against that one. In this trial, they haven't released numbers of how many people in the trial had that variant, but it is likely earlier trials were in the UK when B117, as it's called, was circulating. So it is likely to be effective against that one. How many doses are we going to be seeing as soon as this possibly gets approved? From your article, you noted that the Trump administration pre-purchased 300 million doses of this AstraZeneca vaccine. This one was believed to be the most promising a year ago when, when this whole process started. And so the Trump administration, and again, it's also relatively inexpensive and easy easy to produce and to store. So they bought 300 million doses of this one compared to 100 million of the others initially. Many of those doses, hopefully, we won't need because we will have enough between the Moderna, the Pfizer-BioNTech, and the J&J vaccine. We, we may not need so many of these. The global uh, public health community hopes that some of these doses will end up helping people elsewhere in the world, which will help cut down on the variants. That the concern is that as long as there are outbreaks in other parts of the world, that variants could pop up and could come over here and threaten us. Yeah, I think I was already reading that the Biden administration might have cut a deal with Mexico to provide them with some, yeah, with some overflow uh, of vaccines that are left over. So that's all good news there. Uh, the last question I have, uh, you mentioned at the beginning how this vaccine is similar to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the viral vector technology that they use. But this one relies on a chimpanzee virus, which the human right. immune system has never seen before. Tell me a little bit about that. Right. So the idea is you want virus suitcase, as it were, that the virus carries the instructions inside of it. And you want the suitcase to be something that the body hasn't seen before. If it were carried by a virus, my body had seen a million times, my immune system would react and clear it out quickly. So you want something foreign. So that's why they use the chimp adenovirus. The J&J vaccine is based on a virus that most of us have not seen. So it's the same, same basic idea. Karen Weintraub, right. health reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.